Dad, thank you for this amazing year that you've given us. We stand here saying thank you. You gave us 2019. We give it right back to you and say your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth, in our lives, in our families, as it is in heaven. We want to live from heaven. We want to bring heaven to earth. And we're asking today, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see things and hear things that would shift and change what needs to be shifted and changed. I pray for every person here. Thank you, Lord. They took the choice to be in church this morning and I ask that you'd reward them, that there would be a great blessing poured out into their lives because they chose to be here. And everyone said... Amen, especially about the me getting blessed part, right? Lord, help Pastor Andrew to preach well. I said to AJ I would preach boringly today so that his child would sleep in the service, but uh, not anymore, bro. Can I go for it? He's sleeping. Okay. Mike, your announcements did it, bro. (laughs) Hallelujah, man. Would, Would you mind switching for me, please, my friend? Well, a blessed New Year to you guys, and uh, how many of you stayed up New Year's night to see the New Year in? Wow, not that many people. I think it's overrated, personally, but uh, they say that the optimists all stay up past midnight to see the New Year in with great joy and anticipation. The pessimists stay up all night to make sure the old year leaves. Um, Some of you had a 2018 where you might feel like that. I don't know, but... um, How many of you made some New Year's resolutions? See, that's also overrated, isn't it? (laughs) For me, it should be the same. I want to be more like Jesus. I want more of him, less of me, you know. And uh, there was a great song set, Mel and the team. It actually was so prophetic for what God is going to share today. And uh, I'm not God, but he gave me stuff to share. So he will sift what's what's of him, you you will remember. What's of me, you will forget. That's what I pray. So uh, I have a friend who has his New Year's resolutions uh, on his wall at his house, and he keeps track of each one, you know. And so I said to him when I saw it, I said, I've got to get a copy of that and show the church because I believe some of you might, you know, be able to relate. And so his uh, 2015 New Year's resolutions went something like this. Can any of you relate? Especially lose weight. I'll, I'll let you wait so you can read his. Um, and I don't know about this losing weight thing. You know, so many people, how many of you were concerned about what you ate between Christmas and New Year? You know, the truth is you should be more concerned about what you eat between New Year and Christmas. <laughs> Just saying. So that was 2015. 2016 looked something like this. Twenty seventeen looked like this. Can you see the progress he's making? I was so proud of him. It's like, bro, you're really coming on, man. And I'm not mentioning names, he's not here today. Twenty eighteen looked like this. And then he came to the realization that most of you have come to that New Year's resolutions are overrated. 
So he didn't do it 2019. So he said to me, the only thing in 2019 is he's going to go to Victory Weekend and be more like Jesus. So that's, uh, that's good enough. Just, uh, so that any of you relate to some of this, right? You know, so um, I hope your New Year's resolutions are a little more spiritual, realistic, and actually come to pass. But, um, you know, Mike said something last week that I really agree with. Uh, uh, yeah, he said one thing that I agree with. Um, <laughs> no, he said a lot I agree with. It was a good word, bro. He was talking about David and Goliath last week. And, you know, I think sometimes having been in ministry for 35 odd years, that is odd. Once it's 36, be 36 even years. Um, I must say that every new year I seek the Lord and look, God, what is the prophetic word for the new year? And after probably two decades of doing that, God said to me, Andrew, let me just share with you that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's like, yeah, knew that. He said, can you see that the promises I gave to Abraham were only fulfilled in Jacob, Israel? And that there are some promises and some things that I am doing that are multi-generational. I'm not always doing a new thing every new year. Now, we like to have new things all the time, don't we? We always, what is the new thing? Well, you know, <laughs> God is eternal, and the new thing is very often uh, just stick with Jesus, become more like Him, go from one level of glory to the next. And you know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, one of my favorite verses, uh, let me change that. Some of you are getting really distracted by that. Some of you are feeling convicted that you didn't have resolutions like that. But you know I don't believe that God is always like, boop, 2018's finished, bloop, 2019 starts, 2018's done, 2019's a new thing. God started to speak to us last year about the fact that as a church, He's taking us into a season of breakthrough. And now breakthrough needs to be defined in some ways and some of the things I'll be talking about today. But He said to us in the beginning of 2018, that there will be a persevering through incredible opposition and challenges for most of the year, and the breakthrough would start towards the end of 2018. And I know many, many people started to experience that. And Carol and I are feeling that this year is really God bringing us more into that breakthrough that He has for us. And God's not always doing a new thing in the world because people are in different places. Nations are in different places. But God did create seasons, would you agree? He created summer, autumn, winter, spring. And if God created seasons which makes up a year, it means that God considers it important for us to have a year, have a break, and a new year. That it's important for us to have times where we stop and pause and look at the past and say, what happened there? I can actually let it go. I can actually trust for a fresh start to do better in what God has already been doing. Are you hearing me? And so I believe that this year is a year where God is wanting to take us places deeper and higher in Him. I think if you've been a part of this church for any longer than a month, you would know that we not really just want people who are saved going to heaven. We want people who are saved and bringing heaven to earth. And the world is full of Christians, but it's not changing. Because there are many Christians, but few disciples. Few people sold out for Jesus. Some of those songs that Mel sang this morning are just really what God has laid on my heart to share. And I believe that this year, one of the things that Carol felt for this year is that it's going to be a spring season. And if, I don't know how many, how many of you were at the Christmas service when I shared there, but 
the fact is that the new year, the Hebraic, the Jewish new year, starts in spring. I believe that's great. Starting in January, halfway through summer, and it's piping hot, and the flowers are wilting, I think spring's a great new start. And Carol felt like we, we're coming into a season of spring, but an interesting thing, if you've ever been in any kind of agricultural background, spring's probably the hardest working time as well. Plowing up the ground, preparing the soil, getting rid of the weeds, getting rid of the rocks. We love the flowers, we love the harvest, but there's work before the harvest. Would you agree? And so many Christians, however, see Christianity as just work, 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 rules, regulations. No, it's not, because when you're resting in Him, you can actually accomplish everything He calls you to out of that place of rest. And I encourage you, it's why we start this year with our prayer and fasting, because we want to start the year hidden in Him. Prayer and, don't get into this prayer and fasting, well, now I've got to do this, and oh, guilt trip and pressure. No, this is like, Jesus, I get to start the new year in you. I want to start the new year with being more in you and you more in me. Because it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. Are being transformed into His likeness from one level of glory to the next level of glory. God always wants to take you from one level of glory to the next. I know so many Christians whose faith is just stagnant. Well, I remember it was born again in 1978. Baptized the Holy Spirit in 1979. You know, those Christians always talk with an American accent. I don't know why. It's just so no one here feels bad. Except some of our USA friends, sorry. But, you know, then that's about it. And I'm going to heaven. Got my ticket to heaven. But they're not experiencing more glory, not experiencing more of Jesus, not seeing no more of the miraculous power and presence. They're not reading their Bibles more. God wants you to grow and become more like Him. Amen. And so... Mike said something last week that I think is pretty important, is that preparation is everything. I believe that what God is doing, He's bringing us into a season in this year where He has so much more of Him and His kingdom for us. But unless we prepare our hearts and prepare the soil and do what is necessary in our lives, it's, we're going to miss it. It's like Mike shared that word about the farmer who's waiting for the wind and the rain before he sows the seed. Do the preparation now because what is coming is going to be something you don't want to miss. God has said, you know, I've shared this a number of times. I had this experience with him probably 12 years ago where I had an encounter with Jesus and he showed me some things that were just life-changing for me. And one of the things he said to me is, help the church become the church I'm coming back for. What does the church look like that Jesus is coming back for? there's so many Christians who, well, it's always been done like this. But maybe the church Jesus is coming back for is going to do things differently. It's going to have more glory. Jesus prophesied that this latter house will have more glory than the former house. What is the latter house? You and me. We're the new temple. Amen. And so, in talking about this, you can flip with me to Philippians 3. If you have your Bibles, just flip there. Well, if you have a paper version. If you don't have a paper version, I'm really blessed blow you. You've got a paper version. Although he's Philippians. The rest you can just click to Philippians on your Samsung, iPhone, whatever it is, your UI and and why. But you know, in Philippians 3, Paul talks about the fact that 
there is a goal and a prize. And if you, there in Philippians 3 verse 13, brothers and sisters, and there is no other category in the church or in this hall today. So welcome, he's talking to you, right? <laughs> okay. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I believe every new year is a great time for us to look at the past and say, learn some things, want to take some things with me. But there's a lot of things from the last few years that some of you need to just say, forgetting what is behind. I want you to look at your behind, not your neighbors. How's your behind look? I got a great behind. John, you know it too, bro. And, and if we look at our behind, it says we need to leave some things behind. How many of you are going to carry things into the new year that God doesn't want you to carry into the new year? And it's not just new year. I believe that every time I'm in God's presence, He's saying, Andrew, that thing that happened yesterday, you can just let that go now. And there's always a fresh start in Him. And then he says, I press on to win the goal and prize, but he says, I haven't yet taken hold of it. Hold of what? Whenever you see that, you should read the three verses beforehand. So can I do that? Verse 8. Paul says this, I consider everything that I had before a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, who say, I have lost all things. If you read Paul's story, he had a whole lot. He was one of the greatest Pharisees gave up all of that. He was wealthy. He was a, a Roman citizen. He spoke multiple languages. I mean, the guy had it all together, but he goes on and says, I consider everything I used to have as garbage, and that's a nice translation because the literal Greek means dung, poo. I, I consider those things poo. Don't poo-poo all things, but that, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of His resurrection. How many of you? I want to participate in His sufferings. How many of you? Oh, less hands that time. So that I can become like Him and attain resurrection. And so He's pressing on to receive something which is more of Jesus. I believe that one of the phrases, one of the things that, that God laid on my heart when I was reading Exodus many years ago, Carl and I felt was a prophetic word for season that is taking us into and that when we look at the old testament i've shared this before even on christmas day i alluded to the fact that the old testament is always types and shadows of the new covenant we never meant to go back to the old covenant paul says the new one is a better one so why would we want to go back to celebrating days and fasts and, and we do fast but i mean like as in religious got to do all the religious law stuff but when we look at Exodus, it's one of the greatest types and shadows of spiritual reality that you will find. And so I want to take today in the three hours that are left to us, a, a quick look at, and I'm glad he's sleeping, AJ, um, a quick look at the story of the Exodus of the Israelites and what that means for us going into the new year. You remember the Israelites, they moved to Egypt, Joseph got all of them there, and for 30 years, everything was great. And then they ended up in slavery for 400 years in slavery to Egypt. And Pharaoh, who Moses grew up with, then Moses, he was actually raised by his own mother. So he knew who he was. He understood the Hebrew tradition and he 
understood the Hebrew God, and when he saw a Hebrew being mistreated, he killed the Egyptian who mistreated him because he was like Pharaoh's son. Then he realized, I better run. I'm <laughs> not more son. And so he ran and uh, ran from God for 40 years. God eventually catches up to him and says, Moses, I want you to go and get my people set free from slavery. Now, let me say this to you. If you've never heard this before, whenever you read the Old Testament, Egypt is a type of the world. And Paul talks about this fact that it's types and shadows. So Egypt is the world. What do you think being in slavery in Egypt is a type of? Being enslaved by the world in its ways. How many of you were there? Oh, I was good at it. I was a great slave to the world. I think I got an A++ for my time there. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. And that's why God had to harden Pharaoh's heart as a type and a shadow of what Satan will operate like to try and keep his church away because Israel's a type of the church. So Israel was just God setting up a nation to show this is what my church is going to be. Even when the Bible talks in Hebrews, it talks about the fact that Mount Zion and Israel are the church of Jesus Christ. And so Moses comes to the church and they are in slavery to the world. And Moses, as a type of Christ and as a type of Savior, he hears from God and God appears to him in a flaming bush. And if you would love some of that. And he gives him his plans. And so when we see kind of the, the promises, when we look at the types and the shadows, they want to get out of Egypt to go where? Because God didn't want them in slavery. He had prepared a promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. I've never seen a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what that looks like. Do the rivers like look white? But I mean, milk, it sounds amazing. And so they have a promised land and a destiny that is amazing. How many of you know God has a promised destiny for you that is amazing? This side of heaven. You see, most Christians are just, well, I'm going to heaven. I'm just going to hang in as long as I can. And then I'll be, I'll be out of here. No, actually, the fullness of everything Jesus paid for is for you to experience here and now. The Bible says that many times. Titus talks about the fact that His grace has appeared for us to experience all of it here on this earth before we go to heaven. And so when we look at the story, God has a great future for us. He wants to take us there. But Pharaoh doesn't want you to go. Satan does not want you to enter into your destiny. How's that for a really poignant point? You've never realized that before, have you? This is a first. Satan doesn't want me to get the fullness of Jesus. I have never met a Christian, a true Christian, who doesn't want more of Jesus. Who doesn't want the fullness of Christ in them. Who doesn't want the power, doesn't want the presence. But we want it in our own terms. We had a course last year and talking about just miracles and wanting more of God and the question was asked why do we see less miracles today in the church than in the early church and I said I believe because the lives of the people in the early church they gave everything they were prepared to sacrifice absolutely everything there was no compromise they were just everything is Jesus I died itself I live for Jesus today for some reason the Christian message is Pray a prayer in church. You're going to heaven. God bless you. Ah, none of you. None of you, right? So let's get there. Exodus, uh, I'm going to just, well, let me, let me just 
read Exodus 3 first before I get to the title. God gives instructions about his way and he says to Moses, okay, go get the elders and say to them, the Lord of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He says that I'm going to take you out of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he says, you must tell Pharaoh that we must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to our God. But I know that he won't let you go. And so I'm going to stretch out my hand and do a whole bunch of stuff to show my mighty power. There will be a type and a shadow for all of us looking back. I don't have time to go into all the plagues. Every one of them has a spiritual significance. But after I've done all these things, he'll let you go. Not only that, but when you go, they will give you all their gold, all their silver, all their clothing, because I will make you favorably disposed to them. That sounds good. So God's calling you to come out of the wilderness waste. No compromise. But Pharaoh's always offering shortcuts. And so God has spiritual success for you, but many of you, I think, know that you have not reached the full target of the spiritual success. I'm not going to even say success, success for you. So if you want a title for this message, it is Satan's Subtle Schemes to Slowly Subvert and Sabotage the Saints' Spiritual Success. To be aware of his schemes, because the enemy doesn't change his ways. The things that he did way back then, the temptations that he gave way back then, he still does exactly the same thing today. So I'm going to look at those very quickly today. And uh, I just have to say this, you know, Satan very seldom will tempt you with something that's blatantly against your convictions. He's not going to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, Go and kill the neighbor's dog. Some of you may have heard that. <laughs> but then you just need a conviction that that's not the right thing to do. Barking up the wrong tree, yeah, sorry. But he will usually just offer a small compromise. I mean, how many people were on fire for Jesus when you first got saved? And you look back and you go, what happened to that fire? There's a reason that the Bible talks about going back to your first love. Because our first love dies out as we just get caught up in the stuff. And little by little, the enemy will take you, not from bright light to pitch dark, he'll take you just light gray. A little bit more light gray, light gray, light gray, until before you know it, there's more darkness in the light than one. He'll not only offer compromises, but he'll offer shortcuts. Because I don't know if you've realized, reading the Bible and living the life of Jesus, that actually Jesus takes us through processes that we would love to shortcut sometimes. The Bible says he prepares you like a furnace, like a refiner's fire refining gold and silver in a furnace. How do they do that? They get the fire, got in hot, they put the ore in there with its mixture of stuff, and they turn up the heat so that the low elements come up and skim it off and it looks okay. Then they turn up the heat again. And then it looks horrible. Oh God, where did all that come from? Oh, he skims it off. Then he turns the heat up again. How many of you have noticed that the Christian life, someone said to me, my Christian walk is just up and down, up and down. Well, welcome to the journey. Oh Jesus, this feels so great. Why was it so hard? Well, the heat was up there so that he could show you what wasn't of him so he could get rid of it because the fire of God only burns what's not of him. So submit to the fire. He shows you this great and amazing, I'm taking you to the land of milk and honey at the top of that mountain. And so many Christians, I get to the top of that mountain. But you get entrapped by the snake that's wrapped around your leg and the thorn bush that you caught in, but I'm going to the top of the mountain. So I believe it's important to know he's got a top of the mountain milk and honey. 
But to get there, you have to look at what is the enemy got on me right now that I can deal with. Because to get to the top of the mountain, any of you hike, you don't look at the top of the mountain while you get into the top of the mountain. You look at the path in front of you. You say, what is that thing in front of me? There's a big rock there. What is that, Jesus? Help me to get... Oh, what is that snake? Okay, let me get rid of it. What is this big thorn tree? Let's get rid of it. And then you make it to the top of the mountain. And so Satan wants to put things in your path, and there are ways of dealing with it. And so Moses comes before Pharaoh, and we all know he casts his staff down. It becomes a snake. The magicians cast their staff down. We have a lot of staff for the church. We're not going to do that to our church staff. Just saying. None of you are snakes. Some of you might think that the staff who work for you might be snakes, but God's going to show you how he sees them. It's better. Moses' staff eats their snakes, which is pretty cool, but Pharaoh's still not convinced. And they let my people go. And so Pharaoh says, no. It rhymes with no. Maybe you should have said, let my people west. He would have gone, yes. But he said, let my people go every time. No, no, no. And I think Pharaoh was a rapper, so it was kind of, let my people go. No, 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 no. Uh, so Moses, he touches the Nile and it turns to blood. The Nile was their only source of water. They live in a desert. And so the Nile turns to blood. Pharaoh's like, that's not cool. But his magicians take water and turn it blood. He goes, oh, so that's not so impressive. So then Moses says, all right, I'll tell you what. Frogs are going to come up and just take over the nation. Frogs everywhere. I mean, it was just like, go jump, go jump, go jump. Frogs everywhere. Pharaoh calls him in. Okay, okay, I'll let you go. Just get rid of the frogs. Moses prays. The frogs all die. They heap them in piles, says the stench filled the whole of Egypt. And as Pharaoh sees this relief, he says, no, 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 ain't going to go, go, go. So then Moses says, okay, he strikes the ground and gnats appear. I have to say gnats because gnats just, you know, some people need to know it's spelled with a G. And gnats just infest everywhere, the whole of Egypt. And then he still says no and then flies. And not only now, God says, I'm going to show you that I am the God of Israel by not bringing any of these things on Israel. So in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, none of the gnats and flies were plaguing them. And eventually after all of this, half the country is devastated. Some of you got some flies in your kitchen. It says that it was almost like dark with flies. And so eventually, Exodus chapter 8, I'm going to pick it up over here, verse 25. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, okay, 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 go sacrifice to your God. How many days journey did they have to go? Three days into the wilderness. Where does he say they must sacrifice their God? Here in the land. I'll tell you what, you can sacrifice, but just do it here. I'm not letting you go, but I'll let you sacrifice here. And Moses said, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord would be detestable in Egypt. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in your eyes, will you not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord as he commands us. Now, this one right here is a compromise that I think the enemy has brought on most of the Christian church, which is you don't have to leave the world. You don't have to come out of the world in its ways. All you need to do is just... Bring Jesus and the sacrifices into your life. You don't have to change. You don't have to die to self. You just keep living. Make Jesus a nice addition to your life. 
That is a false gospel that has been preached across the world today. How many of you here want to make Jesus your savior? Come on up. Jesus will save you and, and he'll make your life wonderful. I'm just looking at people being saved more than a year. You know, when you bring Jesus into your life, he starts working on you to make you more like him. And that's not always wonderful. It's not always comfortable. Sometimes it's painful. That's why Paul said, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the glory of his resurrection. And I want to share in his sufferings. Because my friends, why do we need to go through some suffering? Because there's a whole lot in us that we will often not see until we go through some stuff. And Paul talks about the fact that at times there's no glory unless you go through some gory. You might have some gory moments. It's not God leaving you. It's God saying, oh, you wanted more of me. I don't know if I want more of you anymore, Jesus. No, you do. You do. I'll give you the grace to press through. And Paul is like, God, this thorn in my flesh, I can't handle it. It's too much. It's horrible. I just want to give up. God says, Paul, I'll take it away. No, he doesn't. What does he say to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. So in other words, when you're going through stuff, and I can assure you that this is a year where you are still going to go through some stuff because God is taking us to a place where we look more like him, where we have the glory of living like the one who lives inside of us. And if you want to live like the one inside of you, it says it's Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. But I don't know. I mean, I know people who've been in the same workplace and someone goes, well, I'm off to church. They go, oh, you're a Christian. I'm also a Christian. We worked together for 12 years. Can you believe we didn't know we were Christians? And I go, what kind of Christian were you? Undercover. Because the enemy doesn't want you to change your colors and stick out. He wants you, well, let's just blend in. Maybe slowly in 10 years time, God will open a door for me to share my faith. The enemy wants you to think that you don't have to. You can just put on God without taking off the world, taking off your worldliness, your old ways of thinking. Do it the world's way, not the word's way. Well, the Bible actually gives us a great message in Ephesians 4. That says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, here's the true gospel. The true gospel is not, pray the prayer, make Jesus Lord of your life, Savior, and you'll be going to heaven and it'll all be okay. That is not the true gospel. The true gospel is, Jesus Christ is Lord. He created you. You were bought with a price. You're not your own. He saw that we fell in sin, and therefore we're separated from God, and there's nothing we can do to be righteous. So he came and paid the price for your sin. He died for you. But he rose again so that you can have resurrection life. However, there's a part of Christ's death that we share in. And so the true gospel message is, how many of you would like to die? I see that hand. I see that hand. How many of you would like to die? Because I'm telling you now, the Christian life will be miserable if you don't die to self first. I know Christians who are miserable and I'm saying, well, it's because you're not dead. You see, if you die to self and live for Jesus, it suddenly makes sense. 
And the early church saw the most amazing things because that was the gospel message. You die. No compromise. You now live a life of holiness because he who lives inside of you gives you the power to never have to sin again. Well, that's not preached much in churches. We teach a lot of this on Victory Weekend. Come to Victory Training. Because you see, a lot of people want Jesus to be their Savior, but he needs to be their Lord first. I didn't go to Carol and say, Oh, Carol, hi, I love you. I think you're beautiful. How about we just fool around a little, you know, the sex thing feels quite good. And, and uh, you know, then, then you can come stay at my place and I'll come stay at your place. And she said, no, you, you want it? You put a ring on it. <laughs> and you ain't touching nothing on this body, boy. <laughs> Let me tell you, ladies, people who want to take from you outside of making a covenant with you, that's just not on. You just say, no, <laughs> that's theft. So Carol and I, we didn't kiss at all until our wedding day. It's our first kiss. What a kiss it was. But you see, I learned something. She must be my wife first, then I get the benefits. The world doesn't think that way anymore. Jesus must be Lord first, then you get the benefits of him saving you, his resurrection power, etc. And what is lordship? So many Christians. Who lives inside of you? Jesus. He's resident. That's not enough. He's got to become president. I mean, so many Christians, Jesus, resident, he lives inside of me. I'm going to heaven. Whoop, whoop. But he's got to be president if you're going to bring heaven to earth. It's not enough to just say here on earth, I'm going to heaven. He, there's a world to be saved. Amen. I mean, if I said to Carol, darling, I love you so much. I want to be faithful to you 365 days of the year. Uh, 364 days of the year, sorry. And, and I will be faithful 364 days. And just that last 365th day, I want to go and spend with... Uh... How many of you ladies would go, hmm, good deal, man. Work out the percentages. That I'm, that's a good deal. Any of you want to marry a man who proposes like that? Why not? It's either all or nothing. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So it's either I die to self, come completely out. And then the next compromise that Satan wants to bring. Pharaoh said, well, I'll tell you what, before I get there, let me just tell you what happens in between. Because uh, we, we have this whole thing of do not sacrifice here in the land. So more issues come. And Pharaoh then finally says, okay, I'll tell you what you can do. I'll let you go offer sacrifices, but you must not go too far. Don't go too far. Just keep one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom because, hey, it's going to get hot out there. That desert's hot. And you might want to come back. If <laughs> you know that? I mean, when I first became a Christian, I went back to the world many times. It's like, well, this isn't cool. I'm going back to the world. And it took me a while to realize that when I had to die to Jesus, it all became good. But don't go too far. The enemy will say to you, listen, you know, stay, stay on the fence. Give Christianity a try. And if you don't like it, keep your options open. Do you know how many times the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt? Their slavery was oppressive. It was horrible. But the difficulties of the wilderness, they were like, there's no meat. We want to eat at least there. We had meat. Yeah, you were beaten and whipped every day too, but we had meat. 
What is the wilderness a type of? That's the place, after God has brought you out of the world, he brings the world out of you. And the wilderness was their place of preparation. Mike hammered this point last week, preparations, everything. If they had not been prepared, they couldn't have taken the promised land. And God gave them all the ways of living with him, how to live in him, how to experience his presence. They could see the pillar of fire. They could see the cloud with them. They could see God's presence tangibly. There were angels that led them. And still when they got to the promised land, a whole bunch of them weren't prepared enough. They had not died to self, so they weren't prepared to take the land because there were some giants. Some people say giants, that just test if you're awake. Mike taught on how to take out giants. But I want to say this to you. If you really want to enter into the fullness, then this is the verse that I believe is so key to the true gospel that Paul says, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me that lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. And when we do that, dead people no longer want to go back. Imagine dead bodies crawling back to Egypt. God said, take a three days journey. So it's okay. Okay. You're going to church on a Sunday. Okay. But you don't have to get all fanatical. You don't have to go to connect group every week. You don't have to go to victory training. You don't have to do making disciples. You don't have to do all these things. You don't have to read your Bible every day. You don't have to, you know, don't go too far. And then coming to a close, this plane's about to land two more. We have a few more plagues because Pharaoh is still going, no, 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 we won't let you go. And so the livestock gets a plague. Then he brings boils upon them and their animals and, and Pharaoh, everyone's got boils. They still won't relent. So he sends hail that actually wipes out and kills whatever's out in the fields. Then he brings locusts that chow everything that the hail may have left. There was nothing left. Now Pharaoh goes, <laughs> Moses and Aaron are brought back to Pharaoh. And he says, okay, go worship the Lord. But tell me, who's, who's going to be going? Moses says, we will go with our young, our old, our sons, our daughters, our flocks, our herds, because we must celebrate a festival. Pharaoh says, the Lord be with you. I'm not sure why he said the Lord be with you. He learned by now the Lord should have been with him. If I let you go along with women and children, you bend on evil. No, have only the men go. Go, men, go. And now he's ready to let the men go, but you see, here's a compromise that, is very strong in the church today the first part is don't take other people with you okay so you got christianity i'm glad it works for you but listen don't try and convert me i'll say one thing about this new generation that is coming up they don't want you to preach a message they want you to live a message i mean everyone from around 30 and younger their whole mindset toward church has changed. They don't want to go to church because they should. They don't want to go to church because, oh, well, it says I need to be a part of the fellowship. They want to go to church to see something authentic. They want to go and be around people who are living this life and not just speaking it, but living it, doing it. It's authentic. They've seen it work for them. They've seen their lives change, and they're going, okay, I can see something real there. I'll go. Yeah. It's no, there used to be a stage where I could just preach up a storm and build a big church. People don't want to just hear a good preach. They want to know, are you living it? I don't want to ever be someone who preaches this, but I go back home and I don't live it. The greatest message you can ever see is, what does your wife say about you? What do your children say about you? Thanks, children. 
And so he says, no. But the other thing that I think you've seen in many churches, only men may minister. Only men are good enough. Women aren't good enough. Children aren't good enough. And the scene, women and children is less. Do you know that most of the major moves of God took place as a result of women and young people? Just saying. And I think in this church, you know that we believe in women in ministry because your senior pastors are women. <laughs> My wife. We believe that women can be in ministry, but not just that. It's not just like, well, you know, is it a woman or a man who leads the church? No, it's a team. And we believe in women and men working together. We'll even listen to the children. We'll even take a stand when our stand falls. Thank you, bro. I don't know what I'm going to preach now. It's just... Uh... Okay, I'm going back to the first point. <laughs> but you see the church Jesus is coming back for is not led by a mighty man or a mighty woman it's led by team and it's not just a few anointed doing the work but every person every believer everyone's seen God work in their lives it's not like go get the pastor to pray for you I got the same Holy Spirit living in me let me pray for you I've had so many times people come up to me and say pastor can I bring my friend He's like, I say I will pray with you that you have the faith to go and release that for your friend. All of us doing it. Galatians 2.20. There's another scripture that's great in Galatians. There's neither, neither, <laughs> however you want to say it. Jew nor Greek. In other words, black, white, colored, Indian, in between, slave free, male, female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. That's how we've got to start thinking. And so when you've got a woman up front preaching, you receive the anointing that's inside of her just as much as you receive from a man. Amen. And then there's a plague of darkness that comes and no one can see anything. I don't know how Pharaoh called them because it was so dark they couldn't see anything. And so the last compromise, Pharaoh summons Moses and says, okay, I've had enough. Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children can go. Just leave your flocks and herds behind. You herds me. Moses says, no, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings. Our livestock too must go. Not even a hoof will be left behind. We have to worship the Lord our God. We won't know how many animals God wants us to sacrifice till we get there. The last compromise is something the enemy knows very strongly that your wealth is probably one of the greatest points that he can trigger. And it's why Jesus shared more on wealth and possessions than any other topic in the Bible. Now, I'm not about to preach on money. But I want to say this. The Bible says, where your treasure is, your heart will be. And I know so many Christians, they're doing everything for Jesus. They are living a spiritual life. But the way they handle their money is still the world's way. There were two aspects of their wealth. The first was... The Egyptians gave them a whole lot of silver, gold, and clothes. Remember that? They had a lot of wealth. They were rich. They had treasure. They had all of that. They had all these possessions. And the Bible says where your possessions and your treasure are, there your heart will be. They didn't look at them and say, Woo, we're rich. Let's go to Las Vegas on the east of Egypt. There was another thing it represented. It represented their sacrifices. So in other words, they didn't know how much of our animals are for us to eat and how many will God want. And so I, kn I know when I take an income 
At least 10% I'm going to give to God. I give above another 10% in offerings. I give 5% above and beyond that to those in need as a compassion fund. And we just set aside that right at the first part of our income. But how do you handle the rest? It's just as important because Luke says, you don't have to look there because I'm wrapping up now. Luke says that if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, how can God entrust you with true spiritual riches? And so it's not just what I give to God, it's the rest. And here's an interesting thing. Some people might not know this, but why did God give them all the gold and silver? Because while they were in the wilderness, he gave Moses a plan to build a tabernacle. That tabernacle required huge amounts of fabric, huge amounts of gold, huge amounts of silver, and everything the Egyptians had given them, they gave freely so they could build a temple that would give glory to God, a tabernacle. So even my wealth, I'm constantly saying, God, how much is for me and what do you want me to do with it? Be faithful with your finances. Look after your family. Plan for your future. But if finances has a hold on you, then God's got to help you with letting go of that hold. Because he must be of more value to you than your possessions. And I can tell you that some of the greatest moves of God in the world are taking place in poverty-stricken areas. Where you find wealth, you find compromise. And the Bible says that. Paul says it to Timothy. What is some of the wealthiest nations? Go and have a look at the Christians in those nations. Just saying, I'm not saying don't have wealth. What I am saying is give it all up for Jesus. And say, Lord, you show me how to use this wisely. So that I can plan for my future, but I can also be righteous in the way that I handle it and see it. And that I don't think the way the world does about it anymore. Amen. So in summary, closing, God has a glorious future for us. He's got great things for us in this year. He's bringing us into higher levels of glory. But we need to give all we are and all we have for the king and his kingdom if we're going to experience it. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? I don't know which ones of these have hit anything in your heart whether you have been a believer but still kind of staying in the world and its ways of thinking, or maybe just, well, I'm a nominal believer. Enemies told you, don't go too far, don't get too fanatical, don't get too committed, don't take others with you. Don't know whether it's the way you handle your wealth or think about it. But right now, I want you to just pray this with me and just say, Heavenly Father, you sent your best. Jesus, You gave everything for me. And I choose this year, just as John the Baptist said, you must increase, I must decrease. Lord Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, give me the grace to let go of everything that is not of you. Shift my thinking that I might think like Paul, that I consider all of the things that I have outside of you as rubbish compared to knowing you. I want to know you. I want to be crucified with you. That it be you living in me and through me. 
And if you're here today and you haven't done that, maybe you're still in Egypt and you know you need to say, okay, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord that I could leave. I want to pray with you. And if you're here today and you know you need to get right with God and come out of Egypt and His ways, I want you to just raise your hand. Just lift it up high for me so I can see. Anyone here today, you need to pray that. I want to pray with you. Anyone? Okay. So Father, I pray for every person here. I'm tempted just as they are. We know what it is to try and take shortcuts and compromise. And we ask, open our eyes to see the schemes of the enemy. That this year would be a year of us being vessels that experience the fullness of Jesus in our lives. I release right now a grace in every life to live an upright and godly life even in this present age. Because you have given us and paid the price for that to be a reality. In Jesus' name. Lord, as they go back to work on Monday, as others go back to school, studies, I just declare a blessing right now that even as we fast this week, let it be a week of us seeing what you want us to see, letting go of what you want us to let go of, and that as we go to work, we'd go in with a fresh mindset, with more of you, and that others would see the glory radiating from us that we would change the world you've put us in and release Jesus wherever we go. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Give the Lord a hand. He's good. God bless you all.